Well, regardless of what kids say they want to do, um, just encourage them because they want to do something. They have an idea, they want to dream, yeah. they want to follow it. It'll change tomorrow. I think the opposite of consume is produce. And I think if you're a kid, your number one thing that you produce is creativity. It's imagination, it's right. playing games. Back, back in the day, screaming kids was normal. And if we have screaming kids with us and we're out in public, then all of a sudden the stress level goes up because I have a child having a temper tantrum in right. the middle of the department store. And everybody's looking saying, I'm a terrible parent. <laughs> um, and so if I whip out my iPhone and hand it to them, then they're instantly entertained. The noise goes away. I can carry on my conversation. It makes it incredibly easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, but but it doesn't do anything for that child learning that I have a problem and I need to solve my problem. Somebody is always going to solve my problem for me and all I have to do is scream. Right. And and I'm gonna get I'm I'm going to be entertained if I scream. So if they're constantly being entertained, they're being robbed of the opportunity to be creative. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. All right. Well, welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff, where we help you get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? I'm Joe. Hey, I'm Josh. And our guest today is Roger Russell from Smile Camp. Good morning. So good to talk to you. So tell us a little bit about Smile Camp to get us started off. Uh, Smile Camp started in 2011 at NC State in the Material Science and Engineering Department. The, the way we came up with the name, the department head is now the Dean of Engineering at, at Penn State, mm -hmm. who, who gave us permission to do this. And uh, um, you, you got to come up with a name. Says, well, okay, well, it's got to be science. Uh, it's got to be math. Um, it's got to be interactive. You've got to learn something. And... and it's got to be an experience that you remember forever. It happened just like that. Yep. Wow. Wow. But but the goal is to have this be the uh, the steam destination of the triangle. You walk into the building, you've got yeah. all the sciencey stuff to the right, and all the creative stuff to the left, and and we want to have adults come in. We want to have kids come in. We want to just give people an opportunity to just reconnect and go. Yeah, yeah, this is cool stuff. So a quote from a parent this past summer. Um, during the school year, they, they have to fight with the child every morning. Get out of bed, get dressed, get your clothes on. And they're always just barely at school on time. And it's always a battle. Mm. Um, so come into summer camp Monday morning. It's the same battle. Um, Tuesday morning, they, they wake up, they get up. And, and he goes in the bedroom to try and get you know, child number one up early enough to be able to get there. And there's no kid. Looks around. What, what's going on? Starts calling. He's in the kitchen. He is sitting dressed <laughs> with his backpack. Already ate breakfast on the couch. When, when can we leave dad? <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. You can't ask for a better testimonial than that. Mission accomplished. <laughs> My wife is an academically gifted teacher and she came home from a meeting and said, Hey, can you do what you do with high school kids on campus with middle school kids? Sure. And, uh, went and asked my department head and 
he said, as long as it doesn't cost me any money, you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so I said, okay, great. So now you have your new facility. You guys are a nonprofit. Right. How many people do you serve regularly? Uh, in the summer, uh, about 300. And then during the school year, about another 100. And you guys do track out camps and day camps and advanced learning. You do everything, right? Well, we have a facility that's a former furniture store. Okay. So you got so, lots of room. So we have a ton of space for all kinds of hands-on things. Um, and so in any educational group that wants to do something, uh, we have the space to do it. So we have creative things. We have sciencey things, chemistry things, yeah. uh, makerspace things. So kids who want to build something can come in and learn how and then actually do it. That's awesome. So your background is in mechanical engineering. Right. And then, so you were teaching high school students and then you moved to middle school students or did you start out teaching college kids? Uh, I started out on campus long, long, long ago in a materials engineering lab. Um, that was my job working my way through school. So that's where ceramic superconductors came from. That's where uh, transparent ceramics came from. Cool stuff like that. Ceramic Superconductor. That sounds so cool. Yeah. You said uh, your your wife was the one that asked, hey, what you've been doing? Could you transfer that down to middle school students? What Were you always interested in helping out, um, addressing the needs of the academically gifted kids? Because of the, the job that I had on campus, I mm -hmm. was always the person that people went to, to. How do I do this? And so always giving advice, always enabling people, always helping people solve their problems. Right. Um, and to recruit people to the material science and engineering department, which is the department that I worked in, then we did a lot of outreach, tons of outreach in order to get people, make people aware that material science and engineering existed. Right. Did you know material science and engineering existed? No, I did not. So what, what do materials engineers do? Build stuff. Oh no, they create stuff, but matter can't be created. It is only transferred from one source to the other. Right. That's right. Within materials, you've got metallurgy, you've got ceramics, polymers, uh, microelectronics. All of those materials um, have to be developed. And, and so it's all of these materials things that allow us to do all of the technology stuff that we can do now. Um, but a lot of the students that we got in our programs, they'd already made up their mind by the time they got to us already. So we were only able to change the minds of few. So the idea of going to middle school made a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, we are pushing high schoolers to know what they want to do. Like by the time they, they hit oh, ninth yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my son's been coming home. He's six. He's like, they're asking me what I want to be. What am I going to be when I grow up? And I told him, just tell him big. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right. But there are so many jobs in, in STEM, which is now STEAM. Yeah. There's so many things that didn't exist as a job when... I was like in a middle schooler that are a totally viable job now. And there's yeah, like, right. we don't even know what's coming next. Like we don't know what jobs are out there because we haven't even made them up yet. But it sounds like you have an exciting field that might be on the edge of some of that cutting edge stuff. Oh yeah. So uh, what's your background? How did you get to where you are? What? Uh... Uh, so as an undergraduate, I worked in a materials engineering lab and ended up managing the lab. And we ended up doing some stuff with transparent ceramics and, uh, at NC State. Yeah. Yeah. And the professor that I worked for and I started a company making transparent ceramics. Uh, one of the one of the destinations for that, if you remember the Harrier vertical takeoff. Oh, yeah. Jet, 
Well, the very nose of that was glass, and we wanted to replace it with something that was a lot harder. I always enjoyed teaching, loved teaching, and and getting kids excited. You have the vibe of stuff. like everybody's favorite high school science teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just met you, but I could tell that about you for sure. You remind me of like every great science teacher that I ever had. Like the best part about science class for me growing up was always the experiments, the hands-on yeah. stuff. Yeah. When we got to do something and not just kind of the rote memorization kind of stuff. And I know that's a big part of what you guys focus on is the hands-on. Right. So the hands-on piece, I mean, you, you can get the, the words, you can get the, 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 remember Charlie Brown? Exactly. <laughs> so, so the, the reason the AG department was interested is because all of the very, very strong gifted kids were, they, they had a problem with them not graduating high school, not continuing, not getting disenfranchised from the educational system. Mm. And so, so, so there were a lot of advanced gifted kids that just gave up on school yeah, because they weren't learning anything. They were bored. They were getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, and just, it, it just wasn't a place for them. So we started bringing kids in with the sole purpose of just doing hands-on math and science. Yeah. What are some of your favorite experiments you've gotten to do with middle schoolers that you just see them uh, get all excited about? We put them in front of electron microscopes and and other things so that they can see all the equipment and play with all the toys and actually get in there and drive. And, you know, when you're turning the knob and you're focusing on, you know, the, uh, something cool like uh, an, an ant's leg and see all the spiky hairs coming out, it's like, wow. Yeah. The kids two weeks ago took a go-kart and rebuilt it into an electric car. Um, that's really cool. So it's a, yeah, so that was a week long camp yeah. to take apart a go-kart and turn it into an electric car. That's pretty that's cool. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff, like those are the kind of stories you remember as an adult, like that come to mind. Like one time I took apart a go-kart and turned it into an electric car. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that that's pretty clear is that if you do something hands-on uh, and, and you make something, you take that thing home. Um, I know a lot of high school students that are going off to college and the box under the bed is stuff that mom is not supposed to get rid of while they're gone and the stuff that they made while they were at camp. Yeah. I mean, w when you make something with your hands to you, it feels more like art than a project. Right. So and, that's a good question. Cause I wanted to ask you like, when did they add the A, which is the arts part into steam, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. So when was the A added in? Um, that started as a movement. Yeah, four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. But from my point of view, for them being creative, they didn't come from an environment where creativity is something that they, that they did. Yeah. The public school system just simply doesn't really work on that premise. Sure. They, so, it's kind of almost, I mean, I wouldn't say they actively discourage it, but the approach often feels to discourage creativity. Correct. It, it, there aren't any programs to encourage it unless you're taking arts. Right. Unless you're doing stuff in the art fields, then, then you're and really If you're not. in a school where they cut art, you don't got nothing. <laughs> That's pretty much the case. And let me tell you, I've had a whole lot of engineering students that, that couldn't solve their problems uh, sufficiently enough to get out of a box. Yeah. It's the creative ones that are going to solve our problems of the future. Mm -hmm. And so, and so one of our goals is to take all of the creative techie kids and keep them interested in science so that 
you know, by the time they get through middle school and high school, they're still interested. Yeah. I think in U.S., in schools, and I know maybe for my kids that are in middle school and high school right now, it feels like the definition of art has been a little bit trivialized. I like the way, I don't know if you read the book, uh, Lynchpin by Seth Godin. He has a, he has a quote in there that says, art isn't only painting arts, anything that's creative, passionate, and personal. And I think it's, it's problem solving. It's, yes. It's, it's being able to look at a problem, look at a issue and rearrange the components into something new. I mean, that's, I think that's where you get like a work of art. Right. Well, you know, Anytime you get to create something um, and it's yours and it's not identical to something that was done before, kid, the early part of Argus uh, created his own calculator. He took a microcontroller and a breadboard and buttons. And yeah. so he wrote the software and connected it up to the boards. And, and you know, it was real important to him because mm -hmm. it's something that he created. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can actually sit down and use it as a calculator. Mm -hmm. And and so for him to use that. Um, you know, take it home. It's going to, you know, sit on his desk. I created that. That's my masterpiece of the moment. Um, yeah. And the goal is, you know, to add a whole bunch of other masterpieces to that. I saw you guys had a camp that looked really interesting. You take a Raspberry Pi, use Python to must put the operating system on and then play Minecraft. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, and the kids have a blast. They create tools and they create objects that weren't in the game before. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're like modding. Yeah. So you're programming on the backside in order to be able to t create a new material called platinum minium. Sure. Um, and then if you collect three or four platinum miniums, then you can make uh, th this, you know, whatever you want to make with it. And I bet those kids got stories when they get back to school. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, what'd you do? I don't know. I modded Minecraft, made my own elements, you know, no big <laughs> deal. <laughs> well, <laughs> We send them home with the Raspberry Pi. We send them home with the software. We send them home with the That's files good, that they, they need created. to be able to prove it because their friends aren't going to believe them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we send them home with everything that they do so that they can continue. Yeah. And, and the goal is to continue to support them. So if they have another project to mm -hmm. do, then they can continue with it. And I think kids are wired for that. I know I was like... Yeah. Anytime I built anything, I wanted to go show my parents. Like oh, I, yeah, I'm thinking yeah, back yeah. like when my girls were like little, like elementary school age, how many driveway talent shows I watched with them and the neighbor kids when they yeah. choreographed a fight scene or did some kind yeah. of like reenactment of a Disney movie or whatever. Yeah. My son, I'm, I create content for a living for, from video to photo to graph. So I have all this equipment in my house and my son loves to go in my drawer and pull out all the knickknacks for camera attachments and make just these glorious looking little imaginative robot looking things out of practical things. And it sits right <laughs> on my coffee table and he won't move it. And he says, daddy, look at what I do is exact. Yeah. He's six. So how early do you bring on students there or kids there? What uh, age? So for us it's K-12. K-12. Okay. All day week long programs and they have a blast. And at the end of the week, they take home a huge bag of all of the creations that they've created. So small camp is a legit thing. You guys are running this thing. You have a, like a brick and mortar location they go to and it's 2,500 square feet of science materials for kids to play with. This would be a great episode for the YouTube channel, Joe, just yeah, to let's have go check it out. the visuals of the, of the place and, and all. I, oh, my yeah. son says he wants to, he, I, what do you want to be when you grow up big? Well, other than that, he says construction worker. And I say, why don't you be an architect? 
maybe he will be a construction worker, but my wife keeps saying no. If you're a kid, man, construction worker is a very creative it's, thing. It is. Because you're a builder. Well, yeah. well, regardless of what kids say they want to do, um, just encourage them because they want to do something. They have an idea. They want to dream. Yeah. They want to follow it. It'll change tomorrow. Um, so what it is really doesn't matter as long as they want to do something and they've got something to work with and say, yeah, I yeah. want to. I want to be able to do something. And that's why when I saw that there were, there was a debate about whether or not you should add arts into steam. Like for me, arts is like making time for like that sense of wonder. I really wanted to talk to you about boredom a little bit. And I think boredom gets a bad rap and I don't really have a problem with my kids getting bored. And sometimes I don't handle it as well as I want to, but I think <laughs> at my best, I'm like, it's okay to be bored. All right. So, so kids being bored, uh, is them saying, I'm not being entertained right now. Right. Mm. And kids who are continuously and, and constantly entertained don't have the ability to solve problems on their own. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so kids that are bored are being faced with the problem of what do I do? What do I do right now? Because I want to do something. And the, the goal is to get them to the point of saying, oh, I want to play this. I want to do this. Right. Uh, and, and then to go do something that they thought of and, and an opportunity to create a game or create some imaginary thing that they're doing. Right. Um, and, and without boredom, that's, they, they don't experience the driving force of that. And, and kids that are constantly entertained, whenever we get those kids that are constantly entertained, we have a problem getting them to engage. Hmm. So, you know, They're we waiting have, for you to do something. Yeah, we so have. They can watch. We have lots of toys <laughs> for them to play with, and because the first thing that you that you do if you're gonna if you want to learn something new is somebody's got to show you how it works. Somebody's got to show you where the controls are. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna build a quadcopter, you want to learn how to fly a quadcopter. Then you need to learn what the controls do. Sure. And we throw in a lot of math and science in there too, so it's not just. This is what you do and where you rotate the knobs. Um, but, but the point is, is that if kids aren't bored and, and experience boredom and learn to accept it, then they're just searching for another form of entertainment and they're never willing to sit still and accomplish something. They right. just want to consume stuff, engaging yeah. to create something, that engagement. Yes. Yeah, I think the... I think the opposite of consume is produce. And I think if you're a kid, your number one thing that you produce is creativity. It's imagination. It's right. playing games and not allowing kids to sit and be bored because of the, I think it's just, it could be a lot of things, but I think one of the components is it's gotten a lot easier to entertain kids since now there's YouTube kids and there's all kinds of content being created all the time. The, um, the ability to make a child be quiet Back, back in the day, screaming kids was normal, but those screaming kids were always at home. They weren't out in public. And if we have screaming kids with us and we're out in public, then all of a sudden the stress level goes up because I have a child having a temper tantrum in the right. middle of the department store. And everybody's looking and saying, I'm a terrible parent. <laughs> um, and so if I whip out my iPhone and hand it to them, mm-hmm. then they're instantly entertained the noise goes away. I can carry on my conversation. It makes it incredibly easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it doesn't do anything for that child learning that I have a problem and I need to solve my problem. Mm-hmm. 
somebody is always going to solve my problem for me and all I have to do is scream. Right. And, and I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to be entertained if I scream. Meanwhile, kids in Russia are learning to shoot AK-47s. Are they? That's right. <laughs> it's like, where are we going to end up, America, if we shove these phones in our kids' faces all the time? Right. And it's not that the phones are the enemy, because you can produce and you can play on a phone, but that's not the way we choose to teach people how to use it. It's, it is that consumer mentality. It's like, just watch the thing and just, just watch the little thing bounce around or play the game or, or not engage. Um, I was reading a New York Times article and I thought... Uh, had an interesting quote. It's from an article called um, Let Children Be Bored Again. Boredom teaches us that life is in a parade of amusements. More importantly, it spawns creativity and self-sufficiency. And in that article, they quoted uh, Lin-Manuel, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy who wrote Hamilton. He's really, um, and he was in that Mary Poppins movie. And he was talking about his childhood and he said, because there's nothing better to spur creativity than a blank page or an empty bedroom. Mm. And I think back to like when I was a kid, some of those things that you really remember and you look back on are came out of extreme boredom because boredom isn't just like the absence of, of stimuli. It's something that fo- it fosters like creativity. Like you've got to get into it and you've got to find a way out and problem solve. And I think those are some of the, some of the sweetest moments in childhood and to not allow your kids to just have nothing to do for an afternoon regularly could be a, a pretty long-term mistake that a lot of us as parents are making. Well, a lot of the great movies that we watch are, are kids that, you know, are, you know, making up their own worlds or, yeah. you know, they're creating things or they're, they're doing their own thing. And, and the opportunity for discovery mm-hmm. um, it is not fostered by the entertainment vibe. Yeah. So if they're constantly being entertained, they're being robbed of the opportunity to be creative. And I think you need, you need to do something before you can do nothing. Here's what I mean. Like you have to, you have to equip, I think, kids how to deal with those situations by giving them tools. And I think that's one of the things Smile Camp does. Here's, here's some ideas that you can do. And I think that's our role as parents. Like I'm bored. Here's some ideas. Do, do, Do some of these things. Or maybe we'll do one together and then you got this next time kind of stuff. So our goal is to prevent, present as wide a swath of, of, of content as possible. So for, for me, I, I, my specialty is college students. So I have college students um, come to me and say, I want to do a lab about this. And I say, great. And then, and then my job is to work with them so that they can learn how to create that experiment or that lesson, whatever it is, and, and then learn how to teach it. And once they've done that over and over and over again, then they've gotten an education that the classroom stuff that they did, did not provide for them. And for the kids on the receiving end, um, they have someone who's gone to the trouble to learn some stuff and then present it to them so that they can do it. And that person that's doing the teaching, yeah. uh, if they were interested in enough in order to put this lesson together or put this experiment together or make this car or, or whatever the experiment is, then it's going to be exciting enough that, that pretty much all kids that participate are going to engage. Yeah. Well, I think it's, yeah, that's just, passion's always contagious, right? If, if the right. teacher's having fun and they're like bringing people along and like, 
Josh just gave me back a book that talks about the importance in any story is having a, a guide, like somebody that's been there before that can show people how to do it. And I think that's the role of a, of a lot of teachers, right? It's like, here's how you solve problems, guys. And this is what it looks like. And so much of uh, the impression, I think, is based on the passion level of the teacher. And so I'm so glad my kids have had some pretty great teachers in the past. But I think what, what I think is so cool is that uh, we're kind of kindred spirits. And I didn't see this coming in the sense of, I like what you said earlier, it doesn't matter what you do, but you need to do something. And that's kind of the essence of why we started this podcast. It was like, we need to do stuff. We need to, we need to challenge ourselves to do stuff. And, um, I went to a podcaster meetup not too long ago. And there's a lot of people in that community that refer to themselves as pod curious, meaning that they've been attending these meetings for a year, year and a half thinking about, maybe I should do a show one day. I'll do a show. Um, but Josh and I wouldn't, I think we were like eight hours from the initial phone call to like doing a show. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't think that means that we're special. I just think that's the difference between success in an endeavor and failure starting. Uh, starting and spending time on it and working on it and doing mm -hmm. it and evolving and being creative and looking at everything from the point of view of, okay, this is an experiment. It's yeah. either going to work or not. And as soon as we find out the result of this and we're going to do another one. Uh, instead of looking at, you know, okay, I'm going to make this decision. And then depending on the outcome of this decision, the world's going to end or it's going to continue, you know, or it's not. Yeah. Um, the goal is to do an experiment and say, okay, uh, what did I learn from that? All right, well, let's take that and then, and then continue. Yeah. So who did you learn that from? Who is your inspiration in that? Uh, Hayne Palmer. Who's Hayne Palmer? Uh, he was the professor that I worked for whenever I got to NC state. Now uh, at the time you met Hayne Palmer, were you always planning on going down this path or do you think he played a role in where you've ended up? Oh yeah. He definitely played a role in where I ended up. Yeah. Uh, what were your plans before? Well, as, as a kid, uh, I, I grew up in Wilkesboro near Wilkesboro between Wilkesboro and Tellersville and, uh, about three hours west of Raleigh. And, and so I imagine myself designing car engines or designing mechanical things because I daydreamed about these machines and what they would do. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, as a part of the work study gig, then I started working in an engineering lab because there were two choices. I could either go to the alumni building and, and meet people and help the alumni center raise money uh, or I could go to engineering and do something there. And so I ended up in engineering because, Hey, I, I want to do something. Yeah. And, uh, it just so happened that the, the people in the lab, the day that I went in and, you know, they were all down in the corner lab and they were kind of talking about stuff. And I walked in and they said, Hey, um, but the majority of the Cree founders were in that room. Um, having lunch. Yeah. About a decade before, well, six years before they started Cree. Wow. So, so it's, it's a lot of fun and, and the opportunity to create things and change things and see the things that you've done turn into something real. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's rewarding. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, so how can, what's the next round of camps coming up for you guys? I think you just finished a big round of camps, right? Um, we have a tremendous amount of variety of things in the summer. And then, 
during the school year, um, kids are interested in all different kinds of things. So each week when the, when the kids arrive and uh, we do a icebreaker of sorts, find out what they're interested in. And, and then we do things for the week that they're, they're interested in, um, to try to get them excited about science and math and, and doing stuff because they don't really realize, you know, what their opportunities are. Um, so our goal is to get them to understand what they can do. And the more they come, then oh, the, the more they understand what the opportunity is. Yeah. And the more they understand what the opportunity is, then the more they can do and the more they think that they can accomplish. So um, kids that come a lot, you know, like six, seven weeks, um, you know, they're building big projects. They have, wow, I want to do this in my room. I want to have lights that do this and I want to program it and I want to program the lights to change colors and I want to 3D print this thing to hold the lights. And, and so they're learning how to use a 3D drawing program in order to, to build the holders and the gears. And then they're programming an Arduino in order to get the, the, the lights to turn off on and off the way they want. And, and so to see that growth is a lot of fun. Yeah. So have you noticed like a pattern, like let's say that the average kid is overly wired to be a consumer. And then they, they find themselves coming into a smile camp or something like that, where the, it's an exercise and here's how you produce things. Here's creativity, hands-on, get passionate about stuff. You mentioned that after six or seven weeks, now kids really start to get excited. Is there like a, is there like a deprogramming time where it's like the first three days of camp, you're just like, come on kids, do stuff, <laughs> yeah. use, use the toys. Come on. Um, we have, we have kids come in that, that want to do 3d printing of things. Okay. They've yeah. seen things 3d printed and they want to come in and they want to take what's in their head and they want it to come out on the printer immediately. Sure. So we have tears, lots of tears the first couple of days yeah. because they can't get it out. You know, they don't know how to use a 3d drawing program. We've got to teach them how to use a CAD program and go from making squares and circles to, to making figures. Yeah. And that, that takes a little bit of time as you might imagine. Um, and some kids are better at it than others. Mm -hmm. So by the time the week is over, you know, they've all designed something of their own. Um, but the first couple of days when, when they really don't know how to use a CAD program and, and they get really frustrated because they want instant gratification. Right. And, and so it, takes a little bit and some, some, it takes longer to get over than others to, mm -hmm. to actually get in there and do things because they want it now. Yeah. And I think we're giving, we're being a little overly tough on kids. I think we as adults suffer the same problem a lot too. <laughs> like most of the time I want it to be right away, but it's the struggle that leads to the reward. Right. Like when you want to develop a new skill set, and usually it's a problem. Like I, I was recently, I'm building a, a website and I got excited to, and I, it was kind of like, like, like the kids when I, they were little coming out in the driveway and showing, like, I finally figured out how I wanted to do it so that I could just build this wizard so that the client could plop in these 20 pieces of information and it would build this beautiful web page. And I did it. And I, call, I called my wife in, like, it was like the talent show. Like, look, all you got to do is she does. She's trying to pretend she cares, but I'm like, look, all you got to do is just plot this here, plot this here, and then boom, pops out there. But the necessity and the struggle got me excited about my job again in a, in a fun way where if you don't have like big challenges, stuff can get 
boring. Um, and so I, I love that. I think the kids probably don't know how much they're enjoying those first three days of struggle and crying. Oh, well, the ones that do that uh, typically are the ones that want it the most and are the ones that stick with it. Yeah. And so inevitably they have a 3D printer in their life somewhere. Wow. And, and a couple of years later, they come by and say, this is all the stuff that I made for the neighbor because they had a piece missing off the mixer. And this is, this is the stuff I made for the other neighbor. And this is, this is the thing that I designed for this. Um, yeah. But uh, it, that's it, a good point. Like the, the kids that end up having a hard time at the front is because they really want it bad. Yeah. Oh, they, they want it bad. And the goal is to, to not turn them off. Yeah. And keep them excited to the point that they can get to the point that they have a tool that they can work with mm -hmm. and a tool that they enjoy and a tool that they can use. And, and the way I look at this is the more tools that I can put in kids tool bag, then the more opportunity they have to use them all. Yeah. And so, so for kids who never do anything, they're only consumers of information or consumers of entertainment, then there aren't very many tools in their tool bag. Yeah. So, so their opportunities are pretty limited by, you know, what they have access to. So, so the more tools that we can put in kids tools, tool bags in terms of, you know, they've seen this, they've seen microcontrollers, they've seen robotics, they've seen 3d printing, they've seen chemistry in action. They've seen, you know, the things that physics will do for you. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh wow, that's cool. You know, I, I can melt a metal and then I can grow that pretty crystal out of it. Wow. Yeah. Or, you know, you pull in a piece of metal into with a tinsel tester and, and, you know, it's just a piece of metal, you know, about the size of your ink pen. And, and, and you, the, the goal is to put it in terms that they can understand. Okay. I've got this piece of metal. It's this big, you know, how many of you do you think can hold on to the end of this and be able to break it in two? And the answer is one or two. Well, how many cars do you think we can dangle from that pencil-sized um, piece of metal before it breaks? Oh, no, that would never hold a whole car. And, and even college students, adults, until you have some frame of reference, you have no idea. So, so we pulled it in two, and it takes 15,000 pounds. Wow, that means two Suburbans can dangle from that, and it won't break. That's <laughs> right. But we have this other one over here that's much softer, and, and, you know, it won't even hold a Honda fit because it's a much softer, different material. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and then, and then their brain starts thinking and then they start going, you know, looking at things and looking at the materials in front of them, that they're different colors, they're different shapes, they've got different coatings. And, and, and then the world opens up for them for that thing that they just learned. Yeah. And so... So that's what hands-on stuff will do for you. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if you see a chemistry lab, a chemistry teaching lab from like pre-World War II, it's a very, very different scene than what you see in chemistry lab today. Yeah. Uh, college chemistry lab today, you've got safety glasses, you've got this benign experiment that they can't hurt themselves and, and they're, you know, they're turning a knob, they're titrating something, they're dripping a liquid or whatever it is that they're doing to try and create a chemical reaction. And if you look at a picture from, you know, the 1930s in a chem college chemistry lab, you know, there's, 
people in ties. They're they've got open beakers. They're pouring things. They're smoking and, cigarettes. <laughs> uh, yeah, which you know, just the the stuff that they're doing and how they're experiencing it is is just completely different. So getting the joy back and the creativity back um, into kids' outlook on life is something that's really important. It's something that everybody yeah. um, can contribute to, and it's easy to do. That sounds awesome, man. It sounds like you get. It sounds like you really enjoy your job. You get to do things that you're passionate about. I'm curious, why did you guys decide to go the nonprofit route? Um, because the goal is to affect education and to get kids in and educate them. Yeah. Um, we're more of a school than a camp. Yeah. And if you're a for-profit, then people look at you and look at you a particular way. And we want to participate on the educational side. Yeah. Um, and, and to go into schools and participate on the educational side is a whole lot easier to do as a nonprofit, um, than as a for-profit. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just based on everything you've been talking about, like uh, now knowing a little bit more about you, uh, a for profit company would probably be more interested or focused on making money, which means they'd focus more on entertainment and focus right. on more about absolutely <laughs> and keeping it, people. Um, it's the entertainment, keeping people entertained, and going, um, you know, you know, and 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 just providing, you know, the right words to get kids to come in the door, and. What we're after is to get kids to come in the door, but then yeah. we want to teach them stuff. So how do you guys handle getting funding for Smile Camp? Uh, it's all parents. 100% parents. Well, it'd be nice if it made money, but it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there's any rule against nonprofits making money, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> it'd um, be nice to have a little bit more revenue coming in, huh? Well, so 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 to make ends meet, then, then the consulting side of, of Roger's life comes into play gotcha. and makes, makes ends meet. I understand. So it's a real passion project for you. Oh yeah. And so your website says that you're the director and co-founder. Who's the other co-founder? Uh, Karen Russell, my wife, okay. the, the AG teacher. Um, and Toby Tung um, is the, he's still working at, in the material science and engineering department in NC state. Yeah. Teaches kids how to run electron microscopes and yeah. solves IT problems. Looking the, the, at your about page, if you, you guys could go to Smile Camp, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's an about page and it just looks like a fun group of people there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the about page is is the three of us and and the students that have come through and spent years working for us and then gone on to do other things. If, if you look at education as a multifaceted thing, um, then one of the big facets of their education was spending time on Smile. Uh, for a couple of years, I taught a, a what amounted to a, a hands-on lab course yeah. connected to the camp program where the materials undergraduate students could come in and learn how to create an experiment. All right. Well, that's real important if you're in the materials world, world because that's what you're doing. You're, you're creating experiments. So, so learning how to create those on your own. Because regardless of what you read, regardless of what you see in the video, um, you, you never get 100% of it. So there's a percentage of it that you have to solve in order to make it go. Yeah. And, and then you have to go back and, and rely on the physics that you know to know whether or not something can be real or not. 
uh, had some students real excited once upon a time because they wanted to make glowing Mountain Dew because it glowed. <laughs> and well, I laughed, but I let them try. And, and then after, after they followed the YouTube video, they realized, wait a minute, this isn't really going to work, is it? No, <laughs> no, there's nothing there that's going to glow. Yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking? There is a lot of YouTube videos that just are just to get people to watch it that oh, don't absolutely. work. So there's one that my kids really like that I think they do a pretty good job. It's a channel called King of Random. Mm -hmm. And they often will test other stuff that people put out on YouTube that just doesn't work. They're like, we're oh, going to yeah. see if this worked. And they'll just like crazy stuff. Like we got a bunch of salt and we rub it together and now it's a diamond. Like, no, that's <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> right. But they test it and they try to like explain the science behind it and why it might work uh, and why it's probably not going to work. <laughs> but they're like, all right, let's see. <laughs> no, no diamond. Um, but if you look at the views, if, if you were to look up Mountain Dew, glowing Mountain Dew, yeah, you know, there are millions and millions of views. Um, and then if you flip through the comments, either somebody edits them, but nobody really puts in there that this doesn't work. This is a hoax. What yeah. if you cut open a glow stick and poured those, that <laughs> ingredient in the Mountain Dew with that? That would oh, be yeah. poison. That would it would no longer be glow, right? Yeah. Are we talking about drinkable glowing Mountain Dew or just glowing Mountain Dew? Um, it's no longer drinkable. Right. <laughs> it would because, work, right? Uh, yeah, it would work. It's It'd probably be no kind longer of Mountain down. Dew either. It's just like glow stick. What else can we just, do with glow sticks, <laughs> Roger? Um, well... Um, what do glow sticks do? What chemicals are you mixing together? What you mean? What's inside the tube? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Um, so you have hydrogen peroxide, which is an ox oxygen source, which is one of the ingredients. And then, um, you have luminol on the other side and inside is a glass vial that the hydrogen peroxide is in to keep it from mixing. So when you bend it, you're, you're breaking the glass tube. And you're providing the oxygen for the chemical reaction. So you probably definitely shouldn't put broken shards of glass, hydrogen peroxide, aluminol. So, so if you want to teach about light and how light works, um, if if you mix red and green and blue paint together, what do you get? Black, purple, <laughs> black. It it absorbs everything. So yeah. pigment absorbs. And, and what you see is the reflecting back to you is what doesn't absorb. Now, light emission is the opposite. If, if I have a blue glow stick and a red glow stick and a green glow stick, RGB, red, green, blue, right? And I mix them together, then what color is the light that's going to come off? That's white. White. Yeah. Wow. So, so if we cut open glow sticks and pour the contents out into some little plastic cups and give kids paintbrushes and paper towels so that they can paint things, then where the red crosses the blue, they're going to get purple. And where all three colors go together, they're it's going to emit white. So we turn off the lights and the, then the thing that they painted is now emitting light glowing. It's a, it's a live painting that's... Yeah. That's a great foundational training for photography too. red, green, blue experiments. Right. What would you say if I asked you, Roger, is the sky blue? Usually. Why? Because that's what your eyes see. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted such a better answer. <laughs> well, like, Cause that's what your eyes see. Uh, it, it's it's, it's yeah. what your eyes see. It's, it's what you perceive. The sky isn't actually blue. Um, but it's the interaction between, um, 
some of the radiation and the radiation that's given off that appears blue. It's the blue wavelength. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So if you go over to NC State and you take a tour of the experimental reactor and you look down in the bottom of the pit that the reactor is in, then you see this beautiful blue glow. Ooh. Can I, could you jump in it? Uh, <laughs> Sounds like something I'd want to jump in. There's a whole bunch of metal rods coming out. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I that don't, would not I don't feel good. know that you would what kind about, of make it to the water. Oh, my gosh. You could jump in it once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could. What about, let me ask you this. Chemtrails. What is all that stuff in the sky? We see those overlapping patterns of white jet streams coming out of airplane. Is that is that a chemical that's put on the earth to reflect the UV rays? What do you think? Is it a... Is it a I haven't the foggiest. Yeah, um, so, so what's just called pollution? What's, what's the byproduct of, uh, and they're not chemtrails they're contrails. Contrails. When you create fog, what, how does that happen? How, how do you create a fog? It's a moisture, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's, is it con what? Condensation. Condensation. So the byproducts of combustion, combustion are water and CO2. And so, at high atmosphere, the product of combustion that you see is the, the water vapor mm -hmm. and it's cold. So what does the water vapor turn into as soon as it exits the jet, in, jet engine and, and cools off? A foggy fog of trail. A foggy fog of trail. And so you're creating a cloud. It's basically yeah. you're leaving a cloud in your dust. I love that. So, so how, do we, how do you help people? Because we're sitting here talking and I'm reminded about how cool science class was as a little kid. And then I'm reminding myself that it's a problem when you let this stuff slip in your adult life and you don't get excited about problem solving. The, the <sighs> principles translate into your grown up life and that sense of wonder. And it's so easy to lose it when you just get busy. And I think <laughs> we were talking before about kids and their main problem might be like, how do you help them not be a consumer, but help them be a producer? So I want to change the question to all three of us. And the question is, how do we as business owners, as adults, as workers, not get lost in the producing and miss the important part of creation. Have fun. Mm. Yeah. Do something and have some fun with it. Play with it. You got to have margin for, you got to have a passion project. You got to have something that is fun in addition to work. I mean, you're so right on. I remember I used to have uh, graphic designers or different uh, people in different creative disciplines work for me. You can't just do this because this is your job, but you have to have a something that you're doing this just for fun. Like it's art. You're just doing it because you want to see what happens. You want to see what it turns into and you want it to just be something that is free and you give it away. Otherwise you, you, you disconnect yourself from that sense of passion. That's a tough one when you create for a living. So you're paid yeah. to create and then you're like, Oh God, I'm not inspired or I don't like, I'm not having fun with this yeah. because of the pressures, the deadlines. So there's an interesting aspect to that. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you're just earning from something like you're practicing law and then you're making photos on the side, you can sort of keep that balance. But that's a great question to keep in mind about. I would say you can't be creative on demand without keeping the tool set there. Like you probably notice it and I notice it. I get less creative when I'm not keeping myself um, challenged or doing problem solving or doing creative things for creative sake. But if I do that regularly, if I have that discipline in my life, all of a sudden it's not too hard to come up with a logo. But if I haven't been keeping myself yeah. in the creative yeah. mindset and yeah. doing things regularly. Absolutely. Um, and I think the difference is like, if you're a graphic designer for a company, 
you're not an artist, you're a designer because you're taking their check and you work for them. You're designing for them. Art is something that you do for you that, that you want to give away. And so if you want to remain an artist, <laughs> you've got to be doing stuff for you that represents who you are. When you're a designer and you're working for a company, you're working off of a style sheet and you are representing that company. And that's, that's your job job. But in order to stay good at your job job, you've got to keep the fuel, which is the artist part of you alive. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you won't be able to continue to make the company look good because you won't have anything in your tank. That's my thought on it. I just I can't let this moment pass without sharing my seventh grade uh, chemistry experience. <laughs> Let's do it. It was the teacher. It was the teacher. Her name, I, I learned nothing. Her name was, well, I'm, I can't say that. I can't, I'm not bashing. I'm just saying, it just reminded me. She, now I'm able to look back and say she was, my seventh grade chemistry teacher was like a drunk Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> her name was... <laughs> Her name was Mrs. Goolsby. You get some science. You get some science. Mrs. Like Goolsby. <laughs> uh, she just came back to me. It's been so long. I haven't seen that image. And I remember her. I'm, I'm sorry, Mrs. Goolsby, that I did not pay attention to <laughs> listening to this. I appreciate you and respect you. I'm sorry for my foolishness in that class. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I got that out. I thought, I thought you were going to tell a story. You just wanted uh, to confess. I just wanted to confess. Just get something off your chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... <laughs> My, my ninth grade science teacher was Penelope Ramsour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and Penelope was that era's version of, uh, what's the, what's the lady's name in the magic school bus? Yeah, I know who you're talking. I can't think of her name, but yeah. So frizzy hair mm -hmm. walks in scatterbrain and she would just do all kinds of things. And the amount of wonderment that I got in her class was great. We did in 180 school days, um, we did like 110 experiments through the school year. Uh, it's the first time I ever saw water separated, you know, and we kind of lit off the hydrogen. Um, and, you know, that was a blast. That was, that was my, that was my science experiment experience pre-college. Yeah. Oh, wow. The magic school bus teacher was Miss Frizzle. That's right. I remember uh, one of my favorite science experiments was um, high school. And in the classroom, we were learning about dry ice and its principles and properties. And we were in the an improper science room, you know, the room where you've got the eyeball cleaning station and you mix the mm -hmm. chemicals together and stuff. And um, the teacher was demonstrating what not to do and did it anyways. Like, he's like, you don't want to throw a big chunk like this in and threw it and it blew the ceiling tiles out uh, of the Whoa. ceiling. You know, I dropped ceiling tiles and like, they're like probably the only drop ceiling tiles that weren't broken in the public school. Uh. Just hit those ones and shot them up into the ceiling. <laughs> it was a great moment. And we all learned. That's why you don't throw a big chunk of dry ice into a bucket of water. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, we, 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 we do those too. Um, that, that was the premise I, I taught, uh, created a, a lab course for graduate students. And, and the idea was safety. Well, you know, wonk, 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 wonk. <laughs> How do you get safety from being wonk, 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 wonk to respect and understanding? Yeah. You got to blow some stuff up. You got to blow some stuff up. So, <laughs> so we blew some stuff up. Yeah. Um, and, and the outcome of that was, oh, wow, I, I really didn't know that could do that. Yeah. And, and now you go from kids who are overconfident that, you know, 
were a disaster waiting to happen to yeah. now they understand and respect, you know, a gas cylinder. That's, or, the, that's the science teacher's version chemical. of, yeah. The shop teacher would be like, you got to respect the tools and they hold up their hand and they're missing a finger. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's important, but, but it's still, they'd still have no idea how you get from missing a finger or part of a finger to that thing over there on the wall. Yeah. Um, and you need to design some kind of experiment if you're, if you're an instructor, if you want to teach, um, that, that gives an example of that. Yeah. So, so if you take a bad saw blade and you put a piece of wood in it so that, you know, and you, you know, you've got everything <laughs> set up so that this, you know, this is going to happen. And, and yeah, exactly right. Yeah. When the piece of wood takes off, flies against the wall and leaves a dent in the metal on the other side of the shop, then all of a sudden, everybody has now learned firsthand. They've yeah. seen it. Right. It wasn't yeah. a video. It, it wasn't a, I see the result. It's uh and, and it goes from being a, well, that can't happen to me because that's just not going to happen to me too. Okay. That's real. Yeah. I, I, I know <laughs> yeah. that that can happen because I've seen it now it's real. Right. So. Which is true, man. It's, it's true of everything. And I think I'm very excited that, uh, that we got to meet you, Roger. I think smile camp is an amazing thing. I think you get to, you get to help kids learn one of the most valuable skills that often doesn't get taught until college, which is problem solving. Like how do you take a unique problem and solve it and do it with creativity, have a good time doing it, do stuff yourself, struggle through stuff, learn. And I think that's amazing. That and light stuff on fire. And, <laughs> and Don't forget <laughs> light stuff on fire. Yeah. Cause that's really like, I think for most people, that's what would get them to go. If their kid's like, I don't want to go to smile camp. You want to light stuff on fire? All right, I'll be there. What time do I need to get my shoes on? <laughs> <laughs> More like they don't want to go home, you know? Yeah. Well, Instead. very cool. So if you live in the area, check out smile camp for all your day camp and awesome steam type options. Or if you don't live in the area, make sure you find options like this for your kids and, and get them in front of stuff like that. And we go to schools and do things. And, and the, our goal is to get everybody in the community excited about science. That's yeah. what we want to do. Well, you're good at it. I'm kind of excited about science now. Is that a periodic <laughs> table on your shirt? Yes, it is. Do you wear it every day or periodically? We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today?